Hello, and welcome to The Sound of Space, a podcast brought to you by the University of Toronto Aerospace Team. All right, welcome back to a special episode of TSAUCE. And guess who's back? We've got Cam with us again from MDA. Hey, guys. He missed so, us. Uh, I did miss you. Yeah, I, did, he, I did totally he, miss you guys. <laughs> so uh, he's going to share with us some special content today uh, from uh, a conference. So Cam, do you want to just tell us a bit about what it is and you know what you're going to be uh, sharing with us today? Yeah, sure. So I uh, was lucky enough to moderate a panel at the Lunar Planetary Science Conference, which was down in Houston a week before last. And uh, the topic of this panel was sort of the future of planetary exploration in Canada. So, you know, Canada's got this really fantastic, vibrant community of uh, like planetary scientists and, and researchers interested in things like uh, space mining or what's called uh, in-situ resource utilization. And we brought a few of them together or four of them together to create this panel to just kind of discuss uh, some of the high points of uh, things that are going on in Canada right now in terms of the exploration, as well as sort of some of the hurdles that we face going forward. And uh, yeah, it was it was a fantastic, fantastic panel. So uh, I don't know, hope you and your listeners enjoy it. All right. Do you also want to tell us maybe a bit about how people might be able to get involved? Yeah, sure, sure. So in um, I think in the description, there will be a, a, a link to basically a Google survey. And right now we're just collecting people's names and uh, people, you know, that in the community or maybe you're just in the general public and you're interested in hearing more about planetary science and uh, planetary exploration and from the kind of a Canadian perspective. And we're, you know, we're just trying to bring the community a little bit closer together and, and sort of, uh, you know, get people interested in all the exciting work that's being done in Canada right now. Yeah. And I think Katan, I actually met one of your panelists at the SEDS conference, right? The professor from... Polytechnique? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Pune, uh, she was amazing. Yeah, so fantastic. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, plenty of, uh, it's pretty small, I guess, space community and everyone uh, circles back around. But uh, so we'll be getting into the panel and, you know, let you guys listen to it and see what you think, right? And we'll join you back at the very end. Sounds great. Um, and welcome to, I don't know, I hope this maybe first of uh, a series of panel lectures at um, uh, LPSC. So just so everyone knows we're in the right room. So this is basically uh, this, this topic today that we're going to look at is basically planetary exploration in Canada. So planetary science could also be a little bit of ISRU uh, and just sort of uh, where the panel thinks that we're headed uh, as a nation and how we how we click into uh, the other uh, partner nations, NASA, um, ESA, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I'm just going to take uh, a minute and uh, have the panel introduce themselves. Uh, before they do that, actually, I know some of you, but I don't know all of you. Uh, my name is Cam Dickinson. Uh, I work for a company called MDA. Uh, we've done things like the robotic arm on station, on shuttle, and now the new one on gateway. Um, I've worked mostly on sensors, so I was actually the, uh, the lead engineer on uh, uh, a scanning LIDAR system that was on the OSIRIS-REx mission. So we do do planetary uh, instruments. We've been on three planetary missions. Besides OSIRIS-REx, we were also on um, uh, Curiosity. We did the APXS. We were also on the Phoenix-Mars mission. We did a LIDAR system and a temperature uh, pressure uh, system. Um, yeah, so now... Um, um, I guess I'll just walk through and ask, do you want to go first? Hi there, um, Gordon Sinski. Most people know me as Oz. I'm a professor in the Department of Earth Sciences at the University of Western Ontario in uh, London. I'm a geologist by background, um, do kind of sample analysis work, Earth, Moon, Mars, a lot of field work still working on terrestrial analogs, a bit of astrobiology, um, been involved in developing instruments too and uh, kind of most recently appointed as uh, the PI for the Canadian Lunar Rover mission, which we'll hopefully talk about later tonight. I am Chris Hurd. I'm a professor in the Department of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences at the University of Alberta in Edmonton, and uh, my expertise is in the study of samples, uh, meteorites. I curate a meteorite collection there, um, and my research 
is on a wide range, basically wherever we can get samples from, <laughs> ideally. Um, uh, not only the intrinsic properties, but also uh, the, the requirements for how we curate them, how we keep them pristine um, during handling and processing, et cetera. Uh, and I'm also a, um, I'm on the Lunar Rover mission with Oz, and I'm also a participating scientist on the Mars 2020 Perseverance mission. Thank you. Does it work? Uh, Your TRN? Okay, <laughs> good. We're about to find out. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Pune. I'm a civil engineer by training. As I always say, no one is perfect. <laughs> and I'm uh, an associate prof of civil engineering at Polytechnic Montreal, University of Montreal. And uh, I'm, I'm quite new, uh, new, you know, in this field. I've actually started working on this beautiful lunar stuff since 2018, I think. And currently I'm co-chairing um, uh, a committee for ASC, American Society of Civil Engineers, actually, the, um, that we aim to develop the first uh, construction manual for uh, lunar infrastructure. I also work with a group of colleagues uh, in Canada, and uh, we try to detect ice through uh, geomechanics and geophysics. That's all. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Myriam Lemelin, professor of applied geomatics at the University of Sherbrooke in Quebec. Um, I've been working uh, on lunar remote sensing mostly for the past decade, uh, using spacecraft observation to identify the composition of the lunar surface, the surface properties, uh, looking for ice near the poles at both polar regions as well. Um, and uh, right now I'm working on three teams uh, for upcoming robotic missions to the moon. Um, I'm on the LRM as well on the team. I'm on the Viper team and on the Lunar Vertex team, which will be going to the Reiner Gamma uh, Magnetic Anomaly. So uh, exciting science uh, ahead. <laughs> okay, so um, just, just uh, very briefly the format. So what we're gonna do is we're, we're gonna keep this fairly brief. Uh, we know that everybody's been sitting all day sort of going through talks. This is now another talk, although you got food and, and drinks, so maybe you're a little bit happier. But we'll probably try to limit this to about 30 minutes. And then afterwards, maybe about 15 minutes of questions, and then we'll all file out for beer. So that's basically the, uh, the order of operations here. Um, so if you can't keep your questions, maybe make some notes or something like that. Um, and we'll try to, to um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try to get everybody in as many questions as we can at the end um, and, and see how things go. Okay, so we've kind of come up with a, a series of questions that kind of seed the, the panel a little bit, uh, just because we do want to keep it a little bit brief. Um, so the first question I'm going to ask is, um, uh, to the panel is, what do you think the hurdles are that's facing the planetary community, the Canadian planetary community in the coming decade? So something nice and light, just to... <laughs> <laughs> Go that way? Every time we have a complex problem, ladies first. <laughs> Why you, you, you start? Yes. Okay, let's go. Well, no one wants to say it, but I'll say it. Uh, money, maybe? <laughs> so, unfortunately, money drives a lot of what we're doing. So, um, so when there's funding in academia and everywhere else, we, we can get a lot of things done. Uh, but when there's less, then we have to be creative to make close to as much as we would like, but with less, um, less money available. So um, for the moon, at least, the coming years are looking pretty good in Canada. We have the LEAP program. Uh, so we already see, since the creation of the LEAP program in 2019, we already see the richness of science and engineering that can be done with a relatively reasonable amount of money. So, uh, so that's a definitely good place uh, to be right now. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Money, yeah, it is, uh, it's very important, but if I just want to comment on infrastructure, you know, part, uh, lack of data, unknown ground, we have absolutely no idea where we want to land and what we want to design, and maybe we have some information, you know, the, the geology of the moon, the surface, <clears throat> etc. but if we want to build something, we 
uh, must know underground conditions and we have no idea and uh, we have no um, laboratory equipment to do tests on low gravity conditions, microgravity conditions for again geotechnical purposes, infrastructure development. And <clears throat> when we want to do construction on Earth, we have lots of taken for granted assumptions and none of them can be applied on the moon. And it's just frustrating <laughs> because we know nothing. Yeah, we're kind of in our infancy of uh, sort of understanding the solar system and particularly with Artemis and the moon coming yeah. up, it's, uh, it's, it's a whole new frontier of Exactly. I'll comment on, on sort of two aspects, one uh, from the academic side and then one from the government side, um, but they're related, obviously. Um, from the academic side, from the university side, the, the key is to get the attention of uh, administration, and I'll let you comment on that more because I know Western has uh, some experience in that. But um, uh, re uh, convincing upper administration that new hires in the area of space just very generally is worthwhile, and that's an investment for the future. Um, but what goes along with that is that there needs to be prioritization by different levels of government. So I'm, I'm not up here to, to say anything negative at all about whatever level of government, provincial or, or federal government priorities, okay? I'm saying that in addition to the priorities, there needs, space needs to be there as well. Because when that is prioritized, um, then, or, or put up there as, you know, something that is worth governments investing in in the future, um, that can open up a lot of doors. Um, it, it allows the space agency to, to, you know, to have the money flow into uh, programs even that exist that are maybe um, underfunded. So um, I think that's the challenge. Um, now, uh, you know, I'm at a major research university. It's one of the largest in, in Canada, but it, but, and we've tried in multiple different ways to kind of get the attention of the administration um, to have, you know, from the University of Alberta perspective, you know, having space as a priority. We haven't gotten there yet. However, in the meantime, there's programs that have helped to raise the profile including things like um, CubeSat programs. And, and we, we, outside of University of Toronto, we were the first institution to launch uh, a, uh, a CubeSat from Canada. And, and now there's a national level CubeSat program. So these are the type, and then those spawn, actually do spawn industry. So these are things that we can point to, but I think that there needs, there does still need to be that call it leadership at the level of upper administration in universities and governments. The thing is that the upper administration in university is not going to invest if it doesn't see the potential for, uh, for you know, for the money coming in in order to, to yeah, yeah, the other, the other half of it. So the both, that's why they're related. So do you think it's more of just a ball like a coordination? Maybe? I think it's a coordination thing, but it's also, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's it's a two-way street for sure. You know the the U15 presidents get together every now and then, right, yeah. and talk about it. And and I think that's the kind of level where space needs to be in the conversation. But it's not going to really be in the conversation in, in, unless they, you know, U15 leadership sees the opportunities that that could be there. U15 is a, a group of 15 universities across Canada that kind of pull together and advocate as a group. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's tough not to be negative, right, with that kind of question about what the hurdles are. And, um, you know, funding that Miriam mentioned is definitely one of them. I think probably preaching to the converted in this room, at least in part, and that, you know, Canada still spends, I think, definitely less than uh, the kind of G10 countries, maybe the G20 of its percentage of GDP on space. You know, we've we've tried we've been pushing as a community to do that um, I know MDA has been doing a lot of advocacy uh, over the last few years um, but I think some of the later topics tonight too is uh, you know perhaps how at the academic level as planetary scientists we can come together uh, a bit more to try and advocate because you know I think if you put a bunch of politicians up here and they would face this way looking at all the young faces in the room it'd be 
pretty simple choice, right? Um, you know, we've got a lot of, uh, we, we were actually chatting about this at lunch. Um, we had a kind of lunar, lunar rover mission kickoff meeting. We've got a lot of exciting things going on. Um, but one of the things we're all lamenting is uh, Canada does a great job of um, putting funding into training people up to about the PhD level, tails off at the postdoc level, and then it's like a nosedive to get you all up in these chairs. And so that's, um, it's not just in planetary and space science, um, but it's definitely exacerbated at our level, I think. I think that goes back to um, Professor Hurd's comment about the connectivity back kind of into the universities and, you know, having that, that ability for them to have some place to land, for example, mm -hmm. not just mm -hmm. have the click. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, a lot of things we might never change about how short-term government is. I mean, even the LEAP program, right? I think a lot of us are concerned that, that was a, it was a five-year commitment by government. And as you said, 2019, well, so five years is 2024. That's next year now. Like, what's happening afterwards? You know, I think we all hope that this Canadian lunar rover mission is not going to be the first and only you know, we want to make sure that it's the first of many. And so how do we ensure that? So, yeah. so um, the, the next question I have is uh, sort of what lessons can we take from past Canadian planetary exploration endeavors? So I, I know Oz and, and Chris have worked on stuff. I'm not, um, I've actually just met both Pune and uh, <coughs> uh, Miriam uh, yeah. recently, but I mean, I guess we've sort of seen in the last 10, 15 years sort of ups and downs through the community and sort of what, what lessons can we learn. Yeah. Anybody? Well, Maureen, so structure, we never had, you know, I cannot make any comments yeah, on that. Yeah, that's pretty new. That's pretty new, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. I can maybe just say that I was, um, I had actually had a good timing in my career. So I did my studies back in the... 2010 region uh, when there was actually quite a lot of funding for planetary science in Canada and then I left to continue my studies in the United States and came back in 2019 right at the same time as the LEAP program so I was really fortunate to you missed the yeah exactly so I'm glad I didn't experience that dip but um, yeah so I just want to make a comment, you know, I also do research on climate change and northern development, etc. And when every time I communicate with, with public, you know, outreach activities, I notice that people are fed up. Climate change always have bad news. But when you talk about lunar exploration, everyone gets excited. And I think it's the best way if you want really to, you know, just promote uh, science and engineering and technology with uh, especially youth i think it's the best mean to do that and the other thing again we talk a lot about mitigation adaptation strategies climate change and every time i talk and now other buzz terms that we uh, actually we hear these days circular economy uh, greenhouse gas emissions, etc., or using green cement, etc., all of these things. And every time I talk, I think about ISRU technology in situ resource utilization, using the minimum, you know, the resources you have to build. And I just see we are we live in two extreme worlds. And if one day I have something, a new technology that can really be useful for, uh, you know, the, on the moon. Uh, green cement using uh, institute resources, etc. You know, all of these things using the waste again to construct. If I have solutions for, for, for the moon, for uh, constructing on the moon, for sure I can use it on Earth too, you know. Then if we invest in lunar exploration, in lunar infrastructure, I think the benefit will be directly on Earth. No. Exactly. <laughs> so you're looking for sort of what we can learn from successes. I mean, OSIRIS-REx is, is one. We haven't fully realized the, the success of it because the samples haven't come back yet. But, but that investment oh, that you guys made um, with the space, through the space agency and that, that uh, commitment to the, to the mission that gets 4% of the sample back, I think, is, is one. Um, we've talked in the past about the participating scientists program, which is, which, is, which is excellent, but there's, I think there's also a need, and we, we, we have talked about it in the community, 
for the last, I mean, for long, as long as you, you and I, Oz, have been involved, um, about uh, always looking for the next, you know, instrument to be contributed to and those opportunities and how do we connect up with, with, uh, with uh, NASA programs, New Frontiers or Discovery programs, that, that sort of thing. And, and the lack of sort of having a, um, things ready to go that are competitive to be to be involved the way that Ola was for Osiris Rex. Talk how not to ask this question because I'm struggling to think of a, a good some good examples. Um, <laughs> but I mean, perhaps one that we're actually going through uh, right now to emphasize that maybe not many people in the room are aware of is that. Um, the one area where we can all influence CSA and, you know, pitch for particular missions or instruments or just, you know, having any missions is uh, this, um, these topical team uh, reports. So actually, hands up who know, who even understands what I'm talking about when I say topical teams. About All right. 20%. So we'll, we'll maybe do an addendum at the end because uh, it's, it's prime time. So... Uh, to back up, you know, uh, you've probably heard of, more of you have probably heard of the NASA Decadal Survey, right, where it's not, well, it's not actually done by NASA, right, but it's presented to NASA and they enact on it. We do have a similar process in Canada, and it, I think, is the one area that has been successful where, you know, we as the community come together, we discuss objectives, put together priorities, and uh, to their great credit, I think, the Canadian Space Agency really does try to enact on what the community has proposed to them. But to make it a success, the community has to come together and come up with a good plan, a good series of objectives, a series of missions that we want to contribute to. And I think in this last phase that we're in the middle of, I've noted a lot of apathy. And, you know, it might be because people are tired and worn out and things or just don't think that things will happen. But, you know, that will also make things work. That will mean that it's even harder to, you know, get funding for missions and instruments and things too. So it's maybe something we can touch on at the end uh, because draft reports are due tomorrow and I'm going <laughs> to submit, <coughs> submit mine later tonight. Um, we don't have to put the final reports in until later. Um, but there are topical teams in astrobiology and atmospheres planetary geology, I'm chairing a resources one for the first time. And so, you know, there is good time. And I do think that was a success in the previous iterations. And so, you know, maybe we can push a bit more on that. So I, as well, if you're not aware, like this, the, the CSA has to respond to the community. That's their mandate, right? To, to basically take what everybody is looking for. And they, you know, and it's, it's a bit of a volume thing, I think, where there's more voices. They apply more dollars, right? So, so maybe just to, to um, uh, it actually feeds, uh, Oz's recent comment feeds into the next one, which is, um, are there research areas in the community that we think that we can coalesce around? Sort of, maybe, maybe we don't be so broad, we kind of think about areas that we're good at and sort of maybe focus a little bit on that. It's, there's pluses and minuses, right? But uh, maybe not in terms of like specific say, instruments, but more like themes, maybe that we, we might be able to coalesce around. So why don't we start with you, Oz? Sure. Well, I hope there's some coalescence around the moon. Um, you know, it's, it is really exciting times. We're going to have humans back on the surface of the moon. There will be a Canadian astronaut on Artemis II, which, again, as I've given you know, a few talks in schools recently, and that will make Canada only the second country in the world to have an astronaut go into deep space. How cool is that, right? We want to make sure that every Canadian knows that, just like we were the third country in space, which most people still don't know. Um, so, you know, I think uh, with the LEAP program, as Miriam said, you know, we're seeing uh, it's not too much in the public eye, but there are instruments and software on the way to the moon right now. I don't know exactly where they are between here and the moon. Uh, we're going to have the Canadian Lunar Rover mission. Um, so the moon, I think, is a good area of coalescence and then um, you know I, I think there's a lot of expertise in Canada and interest in the, the Mars ice map emission that's changed uh, its name a few times um, but if that comes to fruition 
Um, you know, there's, I think, opportunities for astrobiology, for geology, for geophysics, atmospheres, and a lot of people to potentially get involved. Um, you can probably predict from, from my introduction to myself what I'm going to say, but um, uh, sample return is a major uh, area of emphasis. Generally, it's a theme um, that, that, you know, uh, applies to the Osiris, to asteroids, the OSIRIS-REx samples that are coming back. Um, and, and just to emphasize that the 4% of that that we will get, that's, that's Canadian property, right? So that's, that's like Apollo 11 for Canada. So that's an important point to make, and that it's not just we're borrowing it from NASA, we're actually going to be in charge of, of it and curating it at the CSA. So there's that component. Um, there's, there's Mars sample return, which is 10 years out for real this time. Like we always say, it's 10 years out. <laughs> but it actually is 10 years out. Then you tell you. Yeah, yeah, I'll still be around. Um, but. Uh, and, and there's other opportunities, and lunar, lunar sample return as well. I mean, the idea, uh, Artemis III, I think, is to, is to get samples. And those samples may also have ices in them. And so there's the area of advanced curation, we call it, where you need to have very pay specific attention to, you know, uh, mitigating uh, contamination of samples, uh, um, treating samples differently because they have, uh, they have uh, volatiles in them, trying to preserve those volatiles, that sort of thing. That's an area I think that we could um, we could develop, and the other point I have made for like twenty some years, um, in the Canadian context is, in Canada we already have a lot of analytical tools for looking at materials, and and that could be natural materials, synthetic materials. Just look across the country at, you know, it could call it nanotechnology, whatever, but just look at the type of tools that we have, or just search on it and you'll see there's an incredible diversity of highly techni you know, technologically advanced tools for analysis of samples. We're, what we're kind of missing, and we've got, and we've got the astro materials, lots of those as well through, the, through three major collections um, uh, and more all the time and so through meteorites. And so but what's missing is the component of investment of bringing the expertise in together with the on the astro materials with the those to enable those tools to be applied to it so i've always made the point that they the components are all there it's the it's the sort of getting organized more organized to get those samples with the right expertise to the tools that we already have <clears throat> something in common and it's geo <laughs> and I think yeah, what is kind of yeah no I think what is missing is your tech <laughs> you know and designing geology rover in a way that geotechnical engineers can use it to you know I mean data matters but for example we cannot necessarily use uh, the geological data for <clears throat> geotechnical purposes. And having, designing a sampler that, you know, the bring us undisturbed samples, it's crucial for us. But geologists, they don't think that it is important, right? Then, but for geotechnical engineers. We don't think in geotechnical. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I told you, no one is perfect, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. The, if if we want really to um, design and build infrastructure for for ISRU the purposes, when I say infrastructure, I don't really mean like uh, leaning tower of Pisa. You know, I I just mean even if you want to to design launching pad, landing pad, they are all you know roads, normal roads. They are all actually they can be considered the infrastructure. And we need geotechnical parameters to design design them. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I will echo what's been said uh, so far and bring it together as um, so we should focus or coalesce around space mission in general, present and upcoming. And um, I think we're in a pretty good place in Canada right now where we have a bunch of. Um, varied expertise that can contrib contribute to these upcoming missions. 
So we have uh, in the different universities, so we have the engineering and geotechnical properties of material, sample analysis, um, uh, figuring out the best uh, sample to bring back, for example, remote sensing. So we already have a pretty diverse skill set in place. And if we coalesce together and put these efforts towards upcoming mission, then we can contribute to the international missions that are out there through the, the COI, co-investigator program at CSA, for example, or other programs as well. Uh, but focusing on the mission would be a way to uh, bring us all together. Yeah, the other one that we have a lot of in Canada is a lot of mining expertise. I'll just uh, throw that in there, just to mix things up. Um, so last question, and then we'll open up the floor to uh, across the board. So in your mind, to the panel, uh, what are the next steps for us as a community? Um, so I've thought quite a bit about this. Um, you know, I, and a lot of us have discussed this over the years. I think, you know, two big questions and looking around the room, right, there's a lot of faces in this room I don't recognize. Uh, and if you, you know, there's not a lot of uh, faculty members in this room too. There's a couple of big challenges if we take planetary science in Canada. One is geography, which we can't do anything about. You know, we can't just drive down the road and go to the next institution. Uh, and the other is, you know, it's a very interdisciplinary science. And so, you know, we have a lot of Canadian associations. Uh, you know, I'm a member of the Geological Association <laughs> of Canada. Um, and maybe this little group here goes to that meeting. You know, astrobiologists typically won't go to that meeting. We have planetary atmospheres. Um, and so it did come up in some email conversations and things. Um, but I. I do wonder, and I'm not volunteering to do it, but you know whether there is time, uh, or this is the time to potentially you know, create a new society, um, something that is something like a Canadian Planetary Science Society, or to have our own you know, Canadian Lunar and Planetary Science Conference, not every year, but every couple of years. Um, you know, COVID hasn't helped too, you know, with everything being virtual. Um, but we need a way to kind of bring people together, I think, uh, to network, to keep us all together after we leave this meeting too, right? Um, and I think the part two of this thing, I, I think most people know, but just I, am, I grew up in the UK. Um, I left there in 99 when there was almost no planetary science. Um, but the UK has definitely seen a resurgence. You know, it created a space agency in the last little while. And they do now have, you know, the uh, it's the British. So it's not UK. That's some more politics. But <laughs> the British, yeah, they have a British planetary science conference every couple of years, and that shows, I think, the maturity of that community. Uh, and so, you know, it would take it would take a group effort uh, and a lot of people to contribute. Um, but some forum, some society, I don't know what is the right answer where we can bring together these very disparate parts of the community. Um, and again, you know, the model that we, we all discussed over the years has thrown out is that, you know, we have uh, the astronomers do that in Canada. They have, you know, the Canadian Astronomical Society. They come together, they fight like hell, discuss like crazy about what they're going to do as a community, but they come out with a very strong voice uh, because of that. And so, you know, maybe we need to I think the one difference is the astronomers fight over what wavelength. And then, <laughs> <laughs> whereas we're like, we can't even yeah. settle on a single planetary model. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. So yeah, anyway, I'm starting to ramble. I'll pass it on. Yeah, I, I don't, I think that's, I think that's a good idea. I, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about what, what that would look like. I, I do agree that, that some kind of community advocacy um, would would be very effective for the reasons I talked about before about raising that profile and making sure that the levels of government as well as universities are kind of aware of what what's happening. Um, but yeah, I guess it is really all about kind of having a more common voice um, and prioritization. We we won't necessarily be able to coalesce around a telescope, right? I mean that's that's the advantage of of astronomers, but um, but around you know. A handful of priorities might be the way to, to go. But, but I also think that uh, having the uh, 
it's it wouldn't it would be like the lunar planetary science conference, but there definitely need to be that component of applied science, like what you were talking about. I think that that would really get us, you know, where we, we where industry could be could really engage as well. If you guys haven't uh, seen the astronomers in action, a you can talk to my coworker Jamil over here. Uh, but they they literally they come together. They they I've reckon uh, like align them like the Borg. They literally they all speak as one. It's it's amazing. Like they're all like we want web, we want web, we want web, and then they get web. Like they'll get it's like that. They have this beautiful glossy table like magazine quality fold out, and I'm looking through it going. I, I want to quit planetary science. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. So if we, you know, to do something like that, well, obviously takes a lot of organization, but they get there, right? And they they're very effective. At what they do. I think. Yeah, I think training, training. and culture change. Mm -hmm. And when I say culture change, every time I talk about lunar infrastructure or building on Mars, people think it's science fiction. And the first reaction is, oh, we already destroyed our, our planet. What do you want to do on the moon? And every time I have this long discussion that, do you know for uh, electric car, you need to have critical minerals and you need to dig deep into the Earth's crust and find minerals. Oh, you know, then we cannot tackle climate change without having access to some natural resources, and we don't have them on Earth. And I think it is essential, not only for administrators, university administrators or politicians, I think we have to reach public, because if we can educate public, normal people, then they will convince politicians and university administrators to take us seriously. And I believe in outreach, I believe in training, and we have to reach K to 12 students. And it's a long process. We will be, we will be retired, Chris, you know, but <laughs> I think it's a very long process and we have to keep pushing and, uh, you know, yeah, perseverance. Just uh, one of the best things I think NASA ever did was um, the meatball. Right? Everybody knows the NASA people. Mm -hmm. It's on hats, shirts, mm -hmm. it's everywhere, right? You, everywhere around, everyone's got, I'm sure, a shirt at home that has the NASA people on it. And it's in the public psyche, right? Um, and, and it's something we don't have as much of in Canada. A lot of people don't know we have a space agency or that we do all this amazing science that you hear from the, the panelists. Sorry, Amir. Yeah, uh, I would say my dream would be to, or one of my dreams would be to see. Um, an institute, something like the Lunar and Planetary Institute or the Planetary uh, a PSI, another institute um, devoted to planetary science in Canada. So not tied to a university, uh, but really like a pure science institute where uh, space science could be done. Um, so that would get a place for all these amazing students who uh, finished their graduate study, they could stay in Canada, get a job, research the job over there. Uh, we know the faculty positions are really rare, so it would be a nice way to keep our HQPs in Canada and uh, continue growing the, the community. Yep. Awesome. Great, so uh, with that, that's the end of our kind of pre-scripted um, uh, questions. So I'll now open up the floor to uh, questions. Before I do, uh, we are going to try a little bit of an experiment here uh, towards some of what was discussed. Another one? No, no, just the one. <laughs> um, so we're going to try, and if you guys are interested, start collecting names of people that are interested. And maybe the, the kind of ground level entry would be like some sort of directory. So just think of it like a, a tell, like, white pages or whatever. That's I just totally dated myself. Uh, <laughs> Google. <laughs> but, but narrower. <laughs> uh, I'm trying. <laughs> just move on. I got it. Uh, <clears throat> Please give us your email. Yeah. <laughs> what he said. <laughs> OK, so I'll open it up to questions. Yeah, at the back. Megan Russell from the Planetary Science Institute. I'm also from Vancouver. I did my 
grad studies at UBC. Um, you had mentioned the idea of a Canadian version of PSI or LPI. Um, so in, in, in America, we apply to the NASA ROSES program for a lot of our funding, and that kind of ensures that we get, we are able to apply to, for dollars and, and kind of diversifies across the planetary spectrum or whatever NASA's funding that year. Um, what are some sources in Canada that could fund scientists who do want to stay in Canada and have their really sort of enriched planetary science career? Um, as has been mentioned, there's the co-investigator program. So if you're accepted on an international mission uh, as a co-investigator, um, you don't get any money from the international partner. You have to get your own funding, so you can apply to CSA to get the, some funding for that. So that's one. Um, there's the FAST program, uh, field work for the advance of science and technology uh, that can be used to fund um, uh, research in the field or uh, looking at atmospheric, uh, doing atmospheric studies. Um, there are two main ones from CSA. What else? Um, and CERC, I guess, in general. Pretty generic, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're not set up the same, right? And a big barrier is NSERC that typically doesn't fund salaries. That, that's the major difference, right? You can, you can write grants to do cool research, but you need some mechanism to pay salary. Um, I'll totally put my friend, colleague, and employee on the spot, Livio Tornabene here. Um, he and I have been able to work this out for a decade now, but it's been a lot of work for both of us. Um, to my knowledge, he's the only planetary science uh, planetary scientists in Canada that is essentially in the PSI model where we write grants continuously to fund his salary. There's nothing, not a penny comes from the university to fund his salary. So <laughs> we made it work for a decade. Um, but, you know, maybe that's something we as a community come to CSA and say, you know, to the, the CSA does allow that, but, you know, a, you're typically having to apply for multiple grants and things, which I guess is a U.S. model too. But, you know, as a community, we could uh, potentially recommend to them in a topical team report, for example, that, you know, <coughs> enabling, um, you know, not faculty members like me to get more salary through a grant, but people who don't have permanent positions to get more salary. That would be a, a first step to doing what Miriam says. Any other questions? Yeah. Uh, I was wondering if you could, uh, as a panel, discuss or comment on um, the issue pertaining to the visibility of the Canada Space Program. We, we talked about this a little bit, kind of touched on it briefly. How most Canadians don't even know that Canada has a space program. Um, so I was curious if the panel could share their thoughts and opinions on studies and how we approach that problem beyond going to schools. So is it something that we can uh, address on the level of um, Professionals and adults, or do we have to make it a generational issue? Going, right? Do we have to go to like a, the elders, the, the youth, and, and just brainwash them as you were saying? Like, uh, Indoctrinate, I think is the word. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Educate. <laughs> Educate. Very, well, much better. Yeah. That's a great question. Uh, would anyone like to take it? I'm his supervisor. So sort of <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, it's okay. I mean, I do, I do a lot of outreach, um, and my university really likes to to put out press releases for things that that faculty are involved in. Um, but but you know that that is often um, from that perspective or from that angle. So I think um, I, I think we do need to make the case that the CSA. Like that, we need to do our best to support the CSA's efforts in in that kind of outreach, um, because I think the message largely does need to come from that from the CSA, from the government. Well, 
Yeah, of course. Um, uh, I guess the space program in Canada is relatively young-ish, so it didn't quite made it to the school book or textbook at school yet. Um, so when I was a kid growing up, I had never heard anything, at least in Quebec, about CSA or what we did in Canada in space. Um, so I found out later. Uh, so one way to do would be to integrate that in the school curriculum to slowly build uh, and make the Canadians proud of what we're doing. So they would grow up in having that in mind. Uh, and right now, well, all we can do is outreach. Uh, but uh, yeah, we should start younger. So one of the other um, ones that I've heard of is like in the UK, I think they have it's called Pint of Science. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's not through, it's not government funded. I think it's through one of their societies where they actually have the folks like you that go out and they'll, they'll go to a pub or to a coffee shop and they'll, um, you know, talk about the research that they do. So I don't know, just by a show of hands, have any, have any of you ever made sort of public sort of presentations about your research or, so maybe about 30%, 25%? Okay, that's, that's awesome. Only we just, you know, add to it, perhaps unsurprisingly, that we, you know, to slightly maybe counter Chris's uh, comment about, you know, helping CSA. Well, we can help CSA by doing a lot of that too. You know, unlike NASA, there are more restrictions in Canada about what government departments can do, and self-promotion is not something that they can really do. Um, so CSA will never be like NASA, right? So we as a community, again, you know, to tell you all to go out and do talks and things. It is up to us. If we want to see the community grow, we have to get out there and do outreach, uh, take time away from research and, uh, and, you know, promote what we do in Canada. I do feel like we're coming up on a time where we have some major events that will be maybe more high profile. I mean, OSIRIS-REx is an amazing mission, right? But I'm not sure how many Canadians know about it. Um, and it's a tricky one to, you know, maybe get people super interested in. Um, but two weeks today, right, they're going to announce the crew of Artemis II. And there's going to be a Canadian astronaut on Artemis II. That, I hope, is going to be, you know, on the national, on headline news across Canada. And we also do have a first-ever rover mission. And, you know, those of us on the team want to make a big deal of this. We're having some meetings with CSA about how we can promote that. Um, but, you know, it's not quite an Apollo moment. Um, but that, you know, of course, made a huge difference in the U.S. And hopefully we've got a couple of big opportunities where we can all, uh, you know, do something big and make a lot of noise, go out and tell your friends and everybody about it. Yeah, one of the other aspects for a lot of the missions, they actually, uh, it, NASA bakes in, I think it's around four or five percent of the budget goes for education and public outreach. Uh, that's something that, unfortunately, CSA, I don't think they're allowed to do it. Um, they have a department that takes care of that, I believe. But, um, but they actually, as part of their proposal, say, we're going to go to this many kindergartens and this many high schools and stuff like that. So it's very, uh, it's a different model. Any other questions? Um, my name is Stephanie Connell. <clears throat> I just wanted to focus my attention to the lunar rover. I guess you're the PI, so this is a perfect opportunity. But what I wanted to know, what kind of opportunities do you see students having on the lunar rover, especially because the Perseverance rover, like myself and Aaron Hibbins here, are actively doing rover operations for the Perseverance, and I would love to see those opportunities be also offered for Canadians with the Canadian lunar rover, and I wanted to know if there's any plans for that. So I would say we are in early days. So if you didn't hear the question, got noisy out here too, you know, opportunities for students in the Canadian Lunar Rover mission. Um, you know, we're in early days. Obviously, you know, the students of the professors on the team is easy, right? You know, our students will be involved. Um, but I think we all hope, you know, as we get closer to uh, the mission operations that, you know, we will, because it's going to be, um, you know, it's not going to be a multi-year mission like Perseverance and Curiosity. Um, but the flip side is it's going to be very intense 24-7 operations. And so we're definitely going to need people. And so, you know, I think I'll commit now publicly that we'll, you know, we'll, we'll likely need to uh, recruit uh, people to be involved in the mission operations for sure. 
Um, we don't know how that will happen and how we'll do it, but stay tuned and by all means, you know, keep reaching out. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we're trying to get the design done, figure out um, when we're going to launch and where we're going to land right now, and then those are some very good things to figure out for landing. So regarding the comment that the CSA listens to the masses, um, so uh, in the panel's opinion, I was wondering uh, how the average Canadian benefits from uh, space exploration being uh, better funded. So like, how would uh, how would the public uh, So the, the, it's the classic question of, uh, and this is, this is a CSA question as well, is they have to report back how space benefits Canadians. That's part of their mandate. Uh, and I guess the, the question to the panel is, um, in your mind, how do you feel that uh, space contributes to Canada as a, as a society? Say about circular economy, about climate change, and, and if we, we can develop technologies for lunar, you know, infrastructure, lunar construction, we can use it on Earth with uh, the least resources and energy. Then, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm, 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 I, also, I also think, though, that, that, you know, the counterpoint to that question is always, you don't know what you're going to find until you explore. And, and we had a recent high-profile example of finding new minerals in a meteorite. Talk about it on Wednesday. But the, the, we didn't expect, we didn't go in expecting to find that, right? So uh, the public gets really interested in that type of thing. They're like, I thought we knew, I thought we knew everything. Like, it's, it's, it's literally that type of thing. Like somebody, somebody said to me, uh, I, asked, I did an interview with someone and they said, the interviewer said, I, I was sort of saying, well, this, this story's just been going on and on. And, and, and the interviewer said, well, I think it's because to the general public, we, there's this attitude like, oh, we've explored all this. Like, we know all this. Um, and then when something like this discovery, like a discovery like this happens, that's, that's new. That's literally new. And so uh, that sort of element of exploring the frontier sort of thing. So that that is a benefit generally, right? Because it, it's an engagement thing to the to the public. Yeah, there are a lot of other spin-off technologies too, um, where you know, extreme environments and so forth that cross over between space and terrestrial stuff. Um, that you, you do see a lot of uh, like things like autonomy. I'll, I'll use an example of mining, um, where you develop something for space that has to be highly autonomous. You can use it for something like where it's dangerous for humans to work, for example. So, uh, well, probably limit it. Probably just another two questions. I know people are probably a bit brain dead after today, so we'll take one here and one here. Hi, I work for the Geological Survey of Canada, and I'm just so happy to see all my all the people in the planetary geology community. Why? Because I was borrowed by the CSA over a decade ago to bring geology into the planetary science department. Now that was 2007, 2009, and somehow there's no exit once you start being part of the planetary science community. So here I am. Melly Field Williamson. So um, I just wanted to make a comment because I find that the mood is kind of like getting a little gloomy here. And um, what I'd like to say is that from my perspective, I'm an Arctic scientist, so I work in the high Arctic. I have student here who, we, who I've trained with Miriam Nebulay to go and do things that no one else wants to do. And uh, I think that because I work for Natural Resources Canada, and I've been uh, allowed to go on certain conditions, certain contracts, a lot of paperwork, I think there is some hope to bring in another government department eventually. <laughs> Oz is watching me saying, are you really kidding me? But it's <laughs> like the margin, you know? Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, I'm not kidding you. I think that, you know, it's taken over a decade. But the fact is, when you asked me to be on the topical team for prospecting resources, my supervisor said, oh, that's pretty cool. What are they going to ask you to do? And he didn't just say no. 
you know, and the fact that I could write an agreement with Ming Yang and take our students up. We had three students last summer go up to the McGill Art Research Station. Uh, and, you know, essentially what we're doing is we're transferring knowledge to the universities, right, as a government agency. That's what we do. We, once, once we're done our three-year project, we go to universities to continue those projects. That's what Miriam has been doing, and we have posters here, so check it out. But I guess I wouldn't have said that like five or six years ago, because I, I didn't have permission to come to LPSC. It's, we are looking for critical minerals in the north. That's my day job. I look for nickel, I look for PGEs, I know what geotechnical problems are, I, and we, I'm working on, if you know your geology, I'm working on the muskox intrusion in Nunavut to look for a deposit ever been found. So why am I at LPSC? Because I know Chris Hurd, because I know Oz, because I know Ed Plutus, so I've done an LM mission with Ed, and uh, he doesn't remember, but we had a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of breaks to go <laughs> So all I'm saying is I, I'd like this group to just feel, like especially the students here, you got to be optimistic. Eventually, it's going to be more than the CSA. I was there for two years working in the planetary exploration. I was actually in charge of the moon at the time, and I, I, I didn't have permission from the outreach people to say that I was in charge of the moon and I work, was working on the moon, because Mars uh, at the time was the focus at CSA. Like, how crazy is that? Anyway, um, the last thing I'd like to say, and this is something Oz will remember, because we used to have these heated arguments about this is you were just finishing your postdoc. Here I am in public talking about this. <laughs> and we used to have these raging arguments about planetary sciences versus terrestrial sciences. Because, I mean, I did my PhD in the Arctic, and I'm a terrestrial earth scientist. I didn't do a planetary science PhD. And I used, and I, when Alain hired me, uh, you know, Oz had his misgiving. He used to tell me, you know, hey, look, you have to have a planetary science PhD to be in planetary science. I won't say that's bullshit, but over the years, my former postdoc, who's a terrestrial earth scientist, this is Caledon Moisset, is now in charge of the LEAP program. And when she got that job after 10 years of working at Boulder Associates as in charge of her geochemistry lab, I said, Caroline, your dream job is right there. You go apply for it. And she got it. So I just want to leave you with the sense that the only barriers that exist are the ones that we create. And so if we're able to create a mini LPSC in Canada, yeah, we can do it. And not only that, we can do it with the people who are trained in earth science departments and the people who are trained like at UWO at, at the University of New Brunswick in a proper planetary science department. And it's only by breaking those silos that we're going to get a, a, a community that actually is visible to answer, visible to NRCAM, visible to industry. I work with the industry. I work with the mining industry. And, you know, there's so much crossover. And guess what? Canada is the best in the world. Maybe with the Australians. Like, one, two. Right? One year it's the Australians. One, one year it's us. It doesn't matter. We're right up there. So I, I hope that's an optimistic message. But I think I think if you look at like it's standing room only in here, and uh, yeah. I'm I'm like I'm assuming that most people that are in here have some passion for, uh, you know, for planetary science and you know Canada. So uh, I I actually think it's quite positive. Uh, I know it maybe it came off a little bit negative. I didn't mean it to be that way, but um, you know I think there is there's a lot of hope right now, and there's a lot of I think. Um, Things that we can leverage, you know, to, to make things happen. Uh, last question here. Yeah, and it sort of touches on I think a bunch of things that have been said, and it's more distilling it down kind of uh, to the end of the panel. But there's been a lot of talk about what kind of different areas of the community can do, what different strategies for government can do, um, and kind of uh, you know building new institutions or new societies. But I would ask, um, as kind of the the people that you are talking about, kind of keeping the country and kind of keeping these uh, programs, like, what is it that over the next kind of five years you would most want to see from us? Like, what can the students do to, to help in reaching those goals, given that we don't necessarily have the, the leverage or the strategies? 
We'd like to take this. I know I say you almost have better leverage than we do, but make your voice heard, right? You know, they uh, go to my dean and my chair and the CSA and tell them this, and they say, well, it's just us coming to them again. But, you know, if you all walked and marched on CSA with placards and things and said, <laughs> we want jobs, well, A, it would get on the media. <laughs> And it, if you've been there, it's a place in the middle of nowhere. But it actually be kind of fun now. I look at this room, <laughs> just storm, storm the CSA, placards. We want jobs. We want to stay in Canada and study space. Make your voices heard. Oh, and I said too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to second that. I mean, yeah. There's there are lots of examples. I gave the CubeSat example earlier, where you know that's a that's the the classic like grassroots level type of thing, you know, um, that comes out of the university environment. That the, the creativity that comes out of that and the engagement from a lot of undergraduate students in that case, in most cases, um, but but that type of thing gets a lot of profile. So um, I think yeah, advocate, but also uh, this is a really diverse community. So, so, so we, we can facilitate, we supervisors, you know, HQP can, super, can f perhaps facilitate it. But if you meet somebody at this conference or at a future Canadian planetary science conference, and you go, I've got a really cool idea, we should work on something together. Talk to your supervisors to make sure it's okay. But you know, but but you know that's the type of thing that that you know from that level, that grassroots level, that I think could be, you know, as effective or more than than us going asking for more money. I think it's still a very government-led industry, and the market is very conservative. And I think the root of all the obstacles we, the pushbacks, setbacks we see, is related to lack of funding, lack of market. And when you see actually the, the available funding uh, in the States through NASA, they invest massively in small businesses. We don't have this culture in Canada. If I develop a technology, what are the you know, small businesses that can support my development? I think the root of all problems, it's related to to this, you know, I mean, we don't have a big market in Canada. And when you develop something, I developed, you know, the, from some technologies, we, we defined our patents. And now I want to do, like, uh, go to commercialization and based on our research market. And I cannot rely on, on space market because we don't have this market in Canada. Then I have to convince, you know, the, the ventures that we have, you know, application in mining sector, as, as you said, you know, the up north. Then if I want to, to give a pitch and, you know, the talk to, to ventures, investors, and talk about space mining, it's still science fiction in Canada. And I think at least in my field of research, it's actually a big deal. And we have lots of ideas. Our students are brilliant. I mean, not as good as the professors, but <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. They are, they are very good. We have good ideas. And uh, we can develop things. We can follow our patterns, but for what market? Yeah. I really like the Chris uh, suggestion about um, just as a student, find a project that you, you're really passionate about, find the right match with a, a national or international partner, put it together, and then once it's out, make sure people see what you're doing and they're for sure are going to be interested in what you're doing. So take the time to share it, and then uh, it will get attention uh, for sure. And the more example we have, the better. Uh, yep, so QR codes on the pizza box um, if you want to keep going with the conversation. Um, I'd happy to try to collect all everyone's names together and sort of uh, do that. Um, I just wanted to thank you all for coming out and making this a huge success. I mean, we, we filled the room and then some. 
Um, thank you to our panel for, um, and maybe you can all join me in, in thanking the panel for next time. Okay, welcome back to the end of the episode. Hopefully you enjoyed all that content. Um, that was super awesome hearing from all the panelists. So um, Cam, how did how did you find uh, that panel experience overall? Like how many people showed up? How was it received? Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, fantastic response of the people that were there. We had a room that held 50 and we were standing room only. So I think there was at least 50. It was uh, kind of a weird configuration with the chairs, but at least 50 people. And then we were very fortunate that um, sort of uh, two of the uh, Canadian astronauts, uh, David Saint-Jacques and uh, Jeremy Hansen, also joined us and uh, able to not only kind of give some feedback on uh, what they thought of the panel, but also able to go out with them afterwards and, and just sort of, you know, hear their thoughts on uh, sort of uh, planetary exploration. So... Yeah, it was a fantastic evening. So I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And how can people, you know, get involved or learn more if they're interested? Yeah, as I mentioned at the beginning, there's uh, uh, in the description, there'll be a link to uh, sort of a, a sign up sheet. If people want to get more engaged uh, in planetary exploration, uh, we're kind of pulling names together yet. Still figuring out what to do with it, but it looks like we're going to try and at least uh, bring the community a little closer together than it was before this. So hopefully, uh, you know, next time maybe we get 75 people to join us at LPSC or aim know, for higher, just aim keep for going higher. and going <laughs> aim for higher. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get 10,000 people that come. Out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, thanks Ken for uh, bringing us all that content and we'll be sure to spread the word about uh, the, the forums and uh, the community gatherings. So thank you for uh, coming back to us again today. Yeah. Well, and... I really appreciate you guys hosting the content. Like <laughs> it, it was, uh, it was just very, very uh, good timing with, with um you know with with both the panel and then um you guys interviewing me last week so awesome yeah and if if you want to come many more times you're always welcome <laughs> of course of course you say that now then i wear out my welcome <laughs> and then it becomes cam's podcast it's and we're the guests podcast now. <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> well uh well thank you everyone for listening and see you guys next time Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. You can follow us on Instagram at underscore the sound of space and LinkedIn at the sound of space. Continue the conversation and let us know your thoughts on all things aerospace. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the sound of space.